Jesus. Ah, my head. Feels like it's been clubbed. What? It's so dark in here. Where? Where am I? Is that a stone? And why is it dripping wet? The, is that an iron iron gate? What? The, uh, come on, open! Uh, what? How did I? How did I get here? What? The, mind in mind in dungeon? What? Okay, where? Is that is that a door? Where is that door? I can't can't see anything. It's dark in here. And as she crawled toward the Coke machine, its plastic buttons shiny with the most crimson of liquids, that being blood, she could feel her life force slipping out of the innumerable lacerations that covered her supple flesh. Crawl, she did, right to the machine's sinister orifice from which countless cans of soda pop have tumbled for a dozen years or more. She reached inside, her arms sliding easily past the metal, thanks to the lubrication of the blood coating her dermis, and searched for Obumbwe's hand. But he was gone, and, as she felt the cold gears digging into her own arm, she realized that... In mere minutes, she would be gone, too. Who are you? What's going on? Where am I? How did you like my evil story? It's called... The Coke Machine of Death. It was... it was great. Yeah, it was really good. Awesome... Awesome story. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. Who are you? Trimble, for you are in the presence of Lord Serpent, the greatest horror writer the world has ever known. (laughs) So mighty are my works of terrifying fiction that I sometimes, you know, have a hard time getting people to read them. That's why you find yourself in this impenetrable prison cell. You will read one of my stories out loud, performing it with all of your heart and soul. Afterward, if you've done a good job, and we've had a nice discussion about theme and image and mise-en-scene and all of that stuff, I will release you from your bonds. But not before. You must read the story like your life depends on it. Do you agree? Um... No, I mean, I, I, I guess. I, do, I, do I have another option? No, there is no other option. Painful death or reading a story. Succumb to my will and say yes. Okay, Jesus, all right. Fine, I'll read your story. Excellent. Let me pull up my evil chair. Here's your story. It unveils the terrifying truth that man is not truly the master of this earth. If only nature would wake the hell up and do something about it. The Tree Who Learned to Kill The cacophony of chainsaws and heavy machinery was music to Bartle's ears. A symphony of destruction. The chainsaw motors were bright horns, the crack of bark a thundering timpani, 
and the harmony of rugged men and women shouting and cheering, a choir. Bartle played witness to Northern Logging's masterpiece, Symphony No. 6 in Tree Minor. Bartle's grandfather practically built the nearby logging town of Upstream. His father managed all of Northern Pacific Northwest Southern logging operations. Logging was in Bartle's blood, floating along with the red and white blood cells, tiny little splinters of wood. Bartle leaned admiringly against a tree and pressed his good hand against the velvety bark. In the back of his mind, that oft-ignored shadowy cave of remembrance, he hears a tree crack, hears a young man on the precipice of greatness, scream, the sickening thud of a tree on the ground, the sforzando of a humerus, and an ulna, and a radius breaking in a dozen places, shattering like branches of trees long gone. An image charred into the recesses of his mind, two white gashes halfway up the trunk, almost like evil squinting eyes. He thought of this moment daily. It came to him in pieces every waking moment. The life, the future that was meant to be his, gone, as swift as a falling tree. He looked down at his right arm, his bad arm, hanging limply and withered in his black duster, a blue knitted mitten hiding the shriveled hand connected to the rest of the appendage. He stared at his great misfortune. Yes, he was born to be a logger, but fate, fate butt-fucked him hard. Bartle, you made it, a voice said. Bartle turned to see his brother, a hairy, bearded mountain of a man named Bigelow, striding toward him. Bartle spat out the side of his mouth as he watched this brother of his, this superior being with two functional, mammoth, engorged arms, lumber toward him. How he hated him. Bigelow glanced at Bartle's mitten, the look of disgust on his face unmistakably communicating that he had seen Bartle's withered hand before. You okay? Bigelow asked his broken sibling. Okay, Bartle laughed with a scoff. I'm fine. The only thing that can hurt me is... He stared down at his mitten. Memories. You've always had a photographic memory, Bigelow explained. That's why you became a detective. No, Bartle said, his voice heavy with the solemnity of emotion. He lifted his deformed hand. I didn't have a choice. Are you going to take me to this crime scene or are we going to stand around and jerk off? Bartle kneeled next to the flattened body, lying in a trunk-shaped depression surrounded by earth, leaves, and a grass-stained crimson. Bartle knew that color, knew it too well, saw it spewing from his own hand on that fateful day so long ago. Blood. Within the depression, a smashed corpse. The flat expression on the now-flat logger woman's face was that of... horror. Flat. Bartle said to his physically superior brother and the dozen other hefty loggers that surrounded this bizarre grave. Flattest logger I've ever seen. Looks like a tree fell on her, Bigelow said. But there's no fallen tree in the area, Bartle finished for his brother. Awe revealed itself on the loggers' faces as they watched this excellent detective work. Right, Bigelow said. He stood up and paced around the grave. We don't know who she is. She just drifted in one day and didn't say much, so we called her the woman with no name. Accidents, Bartle said, looking around at the loggers. There have been many accidents recently. The loggers shifted their weight like they were hiding something. Bartle, Bigelow snapped. Don't ask that question, please. You know OSHA is already on our ass. If we had a string of unexplainable accidents, they might. Bartle got in his brother's bearded face with a detective's fury. How many accidents? 
Bigelow tried to match his brother's hateful gaze, but quickly wilted from the terrible fire in his eyes. Dozens, Bigelow said. A concussion here, a broken rib there, nothing too serious. Nothing we needed workman's cops claims for, right fellas? The loggers nodded. <laughs> Bartle thought. Loggers. Blue collar, salt of the earth hustlers. Money's too good up here, so they kept quiet about all the accidents. Didn't want to lose their jobs. That's the American spirit. So we got two options, Bartle said, holding up a finger from his good hand. Option one. Someone cut down a tree to kill this woman with no name and then got rid of the murder weapon, that being the tree. Option two. One of these trees fell over on her and then righted itself. Terror flooded through the loggers like the rapids of the swirling river they floated the forest harvest down toward the town of Upstream. Bigelow grabbed Bartle's shoulders with his muscular arms. Their blue eyes locked like guided missile systems, the eyes of their father, another soul lost to this treacherous lifestyle long ago. Bartle, he moaned. What are you saying? Bartle took a deep breath. We might be dealing with a tree who learned to kill. The campfire kicked up angry embers that twinkled like dark and twisted stars as they soared upward into the heavens. He hoped they crashed back to the ground, still burning, and set the whole forest on fire. For what did a detective need the wilderness? The answer was simple. For nothing. He had left that life behind. Bartle took an angry sip of his peach schnapps, the hard stuff, straight from the bottle. Detectives were men, and sometimes women of the city, gumshoes who preferred the concrete beneath their soles over the cushiony leaves and dirt and grass of the woods any day. Especially when the woods were taken from them in a freak logging accident years ago, the very same accident that crushed her dreams and forced him to become a detective instead of a logger and... Bartle took another sip. Fuck it, he said. What's that, buddy? A logger asked, the musical lilt of his Canadian accent identifying him as Canadian Martinez. Canadian Martinez sat down across from Bartle and eyed his bottle with the hungry gaze of a recovering alcoholic who was failing to recover. What you got there, buddy? That schnapps? Finders keepers, Bartle said. And I'm the one who found this peach schnapps in a liquor store, so I'm keeping it just for me. Canadian Martinez frowned. Sorry, he said. Bartle looked around the campfire. Just him and Canadian Martinez. You don't have much of a choice when... Fate takes your dreams and severs them in two, he said, taking a sip. There was a distant thud in the distance. He ignored it. Whatever it was, the peach schnapps would fix it. What's your name again, buddy? Canadian Martinez asked. Beetle? It's Bartle, Bartle said. Don't wear it out. Another thud. Just trying some conversation. Try this on for conversation, Bartle said pointing the bottle of schnapps at Canadian Martinez. Where the hell is everyone else? Oh, I think they tucked in real early, Canadian Martinez told him. Logger work ain't like the city work you're used to, buddy. Makes you too tired to even sit around the campfire and drink. Plus, they're all spooked because of this tree stuff. He looked up at Bartle, clearly worried. You were just pulling our legs when you said one of them trees was learned how to kill, eh? I'm not in the leg-pulling business, Canadian. Let me tell you something. I was working a case down in Hollywood. Bad egg got cracked on Sunset, and I had 24 hours until a good friend of mine was hard-boiled for the crime. I searched high and low for the killer until I discovered the man had been strangled to death 
by an orangutan that escaped from the zoo. So don't tell me that if an orangutan can learn how to kill, a tree can't. Canadian Martinez was harrowed by the story. I'm sorry, I, I never knew that... But Bartle would never find out what Canadian Martinez never knew, because a tree fell out of the woods and crushed him into a pile of bones, guts, and a whole lot of blood. The oak slowly rose from the ground, revealing a gore-caked trunk, mahogany-blushing crimson, blood-soaked leaves, and one hell of a bad attitude. Thought you'd come to see me, Bartle said. Took you long enough. Bartle tossed his schnapps bottle to the ground and took out a pair of handcuffs. You're under arrest for the murder of at least one woman logger and one normal logger. He took a step forward. Now we can do this the easy way or the hardwood way. It's up to you. The tree, now towering over Bartle at its full height, paused for a moment as if considering his statement. Then it tumbled forward, directly at Bartle, with a horrifying caterwaul. Bartle only had seconds to act, and he leapt to safety. The tree struck where Bartle had been standing moments earlier, crushing the cheap camping chair he had been sitting in and annihilating his bottle of peach schnapps, splashing what little remained of the pungent liquor all over the campsite. Bartle rushed forward and latched the handcuffs around two stiff branches. Peachy, he said, licking one last bead of that syrupy German venom off the bark. And then, as if the handcuffs on two of its many branches were of no hindrance at all, the tree reared back to its full height, and for the first time in almost 20 years, Bartle saw the image that his brain would never forget. Two slashes in the trunk, like evil, squinting eyes. It was clear even beneath all the viscera caking the tree's bark. This was it, the tree that stole Bartle's dreams so many years ago. You son of a bitch, Bartle said, tearing off his mitten and displaying his withered, claw-like hand to the tree. You bastard of a tree! Look what you did to me. The tree began to shake. A deep, terrible groan emitted from its xylem. Repetitive, horrific, evil. Bartle remembered this sound from his nightmares. It was laughing at him. Judging from the amount of gore on the tree, Bartle suspected it had already smashed its way through most of the logging camp. He didn't give two shits if it killed Bigelow or not. Screw him in his beautiful muscular arms. But he knew enough to know that no help would be coming once he engaged this tree in a duel of the fates. You killed a lot of men today, tree, he told it. I don't know what the fuck happened to you to turn you into a killer, but a killer you are. And I got a news flash for you, you son of a bitch. Those men you killed? I'm gonna make some caskets for them. Out of your wood. Bartle dashed to the right as the tree fell straight for him. It was still a mystery how the tree was able to move without legs, but he figured it wouldn't be able to redirect a fall once it started falling. And he was right. The tree smashed into the ground, rolling around and viciously grinding itself into the dirt. Bartle ran for the lights of the logging camp. He wanted to nail this tree when he found out it was killing loggers, but now that he knew who it really was, a fire burned in his belly like the pits of hell. Only one of them would be clogging out of the woods in the morning, and Bartle planned to be doing it in a pair of new wooden shoes. He heard a whooshing sound behind him and dove to the side just as the tree fell again. He gave its trunk a stiff kick before it started to rise from the ground, leaves and dirt dribbling from it like saliva from the maw of a fearsome beast. He finally made it to the camp, where a grisly sight of horror and gore met his eyes. The mobile homes that served as the office and lodging were smashed to bits, their roofs caved in and smeared with the most crimson of liquid. 
that being blood. Bartle scanned the clearing for any sort of weapon he could use to kill a tree. Fortunately, it was a logging camp, so he rather quickly found a chainsaw. He tried to start it like he remembered in the old days, but he couldn't get his withered hand to grasp the rope start. He heard it again, the groaning sound, the laughing, coming from the trees. He knew the killer tree, the executioner of his fate, was getting closer. In desperation, he put the rope start in his teeth and then yanked it like he was trying to tear a piece of jerky. He was rewarded with the rumbling thunder of the chainsaw starting up. Something tickled the back of his throat. Instinct? The guardian angel? God? He'd never know, but he knew what the tickle meant. Jump. Bartle leaped to the side just as the tree crashed down on the spot where he previously stood. A second close call. Bartle scrambled to his feet, and as the wretched hunk of wood and leaves began to rise, unnatural and terrifying from the forest floor, Bartle screamed and swung the chainsaw with all of his power and might at the thing's evil trunk. It chewed through the wood like a hound through a dime novel. Split in half, the evil tree quit its rise, and the two parts tumbled to the ground. The groaning, incessant, mocking laughter ceased. Bartle stood there for a moment, his chest heaving from exertion, watching the tree, now two halves of a tree, he supposed, waiting for it to rise again and get him. But there was no movement. He approached the two white gashes, the eyes, and placed his withered hand on its trunk. Why'd you do it, tree? Why? he asked. The tree vibrated. Bartle was suddenly in a different forest, the North Georgia wilderness of his youth. He saw the tree in a large copse, younger, without the white marks that looked like eyes. An acorn fell from its branches, then another, and then, as if life had a fast-forward button, he saw two saplings burst from the ground. He could feel the pride, the love the tree felt for its children. Then a man came and sprayed two white X's on the young trees. The pride became fear. Bartle heard the revving of a chainsaw and saw more men return and hack down the saplings and many of the other trees in the forest. The tree wept tears of leaves and sap under the cruel and unforgiving ground. And then a man and a child walked up to the tree. Not just any man and child. Bartle and his dad. That one looks like it's crying, Bartle said. His dad knelt down and gave his son a long, shining knife. Then why don't you cut it some eyes, his dad asked. And Bartle smiled, a smile that would have seemed normal from a human perspective, but from the perspective of a tree that just lost its entire family, looked like a grizzly sizing up its prey. Predatory enough, perhaps, to cause a tree to kill. Back at the logging camp, the nearly middle-aged Bartle stumbled back from the tree's trunk. You, he said. You're damaged, just like... He looked at his withered arm, and then at a withered limb on the tree. Just like me. He could feel the tree die then, its energy saturating back into the soils of Mother Earth. He fell to his knees just as a circuit in one of the trailers caught fire, lighting the woods in a conflagration from hell. What have I done? He asked, weeping. God! What have I done? Well, tell me, my friend. What did you think of my evil story? 
it was uh, really something. Something good? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, something something good. Excellent. Did you notice how I wove the themes of nature versus industrialization? I, I wove them like vines on a wall. Did you notice that? I, I did. I noticed a lot of weaving and in, interweaving and underweaving. Yes, and, what, and what other themes weaving. did you notice? Uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, tree themes. I yes. noticed. Uh, yes, there was some um, non-tree themes. Yes, there, were, uh, there was some um, um, industrial themes. Uh, yes, like you, so so uh, smartly pointed out. Yeah, there was just you know there was uh, there was a lot of themes. It was uh, uh, there was uh, there were themes all over the place. Everywhere I looked, there was a theme. What? There's a theme. What? What was do you theme. think was the scariest part? Oh man, do the scariest part? Uh, I mean, do, there's just so many. You know, like, do I have to just pick pick one? I, I mean, the whole thing was r- real terrifying. That real real scary. That um, is the right uh, answer. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much from the minute I started reading, I was feeling pretty scared pretty scared well and uh, that that feeling didn't go away i must say the whole time you did an excellent job reading my sinister story but i have a confession to make remember when i said i'd let you go yeah yeah you said read read the story read it like your life depended on it read it real good i read the story i was there i i like i gave it my all and you said you would let me go i read the story you're too good of a reader to be out on no. the street doing whatever it is no, 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 no. you do. You're no, 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 staying no, no. in get, my get dungeon forever. No, 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 the episode was edited by Michael Morgan and Lord Serpent. The Tree Who Learned to Kill was written by Charles Brock. It was produced by Stacy Milborn, Charles Brock, and Lord Serpent. Michael Morgan and Lord Serpent were the audio engineers. The music was composed by Drew Smith, Charles Brock, and Lord Serpent. Tune in next week for more of my horrific tales of madness and terror! Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Lord Serpent's Library and check out my homepage at rss.com slash podcasts slash Lord Serpent's Library. <laughs>